Hello friends! This is People Are Interesting with Jan K. In each episode of this show, unique individuals share stories that take us on a ride across ideas and places. Featuring crocodile attacks in Indonesia, escaping war-torn Lebanon, and shark protection schemes in Mauritania. This podcast takes you where you've never been before. Enjoy and thank you for joining the club. We will start with investing and how you approach it. And I think we're going to try to talk about it in, from, from the point of view of global affairs mm-hmm. and, and try to, to have a take on that. So what, first thing that you kind of hinted off the air was that you're, you, you got out of your, you sold your uh, Tesla stocks which you were really fond of i remember for a long time what happened yeah well yeah so that was that was a while ago and uh, well okay was just to caveat this whole sort of like conversation not not a financial expert i'm just like sort of at the very beginning of my journey and i'm mostly just trying everything Mm -hmm. for for like experience Mm -hmm. and then sort of like I am not a financial expert as well, even <laughs> though I'm not going to be giving any advice whatsoever. And if you feel like I am, disregard it. <laughs> nice FISMA disclaimer. Yes. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm mostly just like trying a bit of everything when it comes to like, uh, like different platforms, like whether it comes like savings, um, credit cards, current accounts, investment platforms, uh, your nexo oh yeah yeah Um, which i heard from a friend of mine yeah yeah um yeah so basically just trying everything for the first time and the same i've sort of applied to stocks and mutual funds etfs the whole shebang just trying everything see what i like um while i'm i think at this stage of my life i'm able to take a lot more risks definitely yeah and i don't want horizon right for your investments yeah but i think even before considering like time horizons and stuff, it's more literally just to try out and and get the actual experience of like what I prefer. Mm-hmm. If, you know, like certain granular things like whether I want dividend distributions or whatever, annually, quarterly, um, or or monthly even, like it's it's a consideration that I'm trying to take into account now. Um, not that I get much at all, but it's just in terms of like, with, with the small amounts that I've now, I'm trying everything. And then as I get more, I can sort of structure it and, and tinker with it, um, by that point that I can build it how I want it. And then that way later in life, when I actually have like a fully built portfolio of, of stuff, then I can, like it works the way I want it to work and I don't need to sort of like shift stuff around and you know, do a radical sort of approach to it again. That's actually something that interests me. But before we jump into the finer details of investing, I would like to bring up the point that I find personally really curious, which is that, you know, retail in in investing and Mm -hmm. the, the incredible access that average Joe's these days have to all those financial instruments and some people really make crazy money right part of it is obviously is gambling it's essentially (laughs) gambling yeah but a lot of people got tools that 
they previously wouldn't have access to, right? Because the, the fees were really high or, um, you know, there would be other obstacles to investing if you didn't have a considerable capital. What, what do you think, what, what do you think is the impact of, of that on the markets in terms, you know, that just the influx of the, of retail investors? Um, I think, well, like you said, it's changed a lot in the past few years. And I think if you look back in time, it's sort of different between countries. So America has a, a lot higher retail participation. And I think that's just the way like government incentives um, to an extent. And by, well, what I mean by government incentives is more like in America, you get a 401k and stuff like that, where you can actually sort of invest and in stocks and, and stuff yourself. So the average Joe, as you said, has access to it um, more than say in Europe and stuff where you, it's like, I mean, you get a pension where it's not as much managed yourself. And um, I guess now, at least in the UK, you can have um, self-invested pension plan, so a SIP. Um, so that, you know, it, it takes off the, the money pre-tax for your pension like normal, but then you can actually manage how you sort of mm-hmm. invest that money yourself. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so that's, I think that's interesting. So it's always sort of been there to an extent, and I think it's been developing over the past decade or so. Um, and I think that's definitely a positive, though there's quite a bit to, to figure out with like, you know, like you said, like retail sort of like jumping into things they shouldn't, like GameStop, Yeah. <laughs> common example. Um, but on this point, do you perhaps remember, I, th- I wanna say it was 2015 or 16 in China, there yeah. was a, a there was a um, a crash on stock, okay, um, and it was fueled by huge bets by retail investors and in, in mm. Chinese retail investors. They would take out mortgages and put plow it all into stocks, and then everything everything crashed. I don't know yeah. if 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 you do you remember about it, but I wonder if basically something like that can happen here in 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 the west um yeah i mean i don't i I remember there was like a there was a crash i don't know if it was 2015 or 16 probably was um and i don't know the details in terms of whether it was you know retail um sort of piling in with their mortgages like over leveraged and whatnot i think there, there is always the fear that if retail goes in to like certain things too much too soon and then the market pulls back then um, I think what institutional investors usually think is as soon as the market jitters a little bit and it goes back a little bit retail pulls out and then right. the correction in the market is a lot bigger than you might expect right um, probably like the whole diamond hands thing actually works there. Whereas like, if you just hold on, it's, you're probably gonna end up, end up better than if you just panic sell everything. Right. Um, but I think if you do actually invest into anything, you should always go in with a certain expectation of like, you've gone, you've, you should be able to do your research and then go into it. And then, you know, if things pull back in the short term of the next couple of years, then like, you should be able to just live with that. And, mm-hmm. and that's not to say you shouldn't reassess your portfolio. You should always 
consider you know what developments there have been if if your you know initial research and the initial reason that you went into it have changed or not but you should always have that expectation that things don't always go your way in the short term but hopefully if you know the reason that you think it'll do well in the long term mm-hmm. um, go according to plan then over the long run it should right so that it, this sounds kind of like uh, intelligent investor and <laughs> Benjamin Graham kind of vibe is, yeah. is that kind of what's driving your approach value investing or do you have um, let's say a, a different strategy or approach to evaluating what, what you what you go into and I guess that could kind of tie into what we started with which is why you why you sold your Tesla uh, right. shares um, yeah so I have always sort of been interested in, you know, the, the, the people that you mentioned, value investing, um, Buffett, and like those sort of approaches generally. Yeah. I, I've always been attracted more to passive income. I think what you're seeing these days with retail is more sort of like active than, probably than it should be, especially if you're a beginner. Um, because like you mentioned a bit earlier, um the the problem with Robinhood and Trading Two One Two and eToro and like the rest of the yeah. zero commission platforms is it's great for getting retail in, but to an extent they've just gamified it and yeah. it's just it's too easy that I think before like one of the first platforms I used was Hargreaves, um, in the UK and the thing is they they charge commissions like normal and that sort of makes you think twice before you actually pay especially if you're going in with small amounts of money it's a flat fee that's a really good point actually and and you pay when you buy it and you pay the same commission when you sell it and you pay a management fee while you hold it but if you start going in and out you're paying a lot of fees right so if it's zero commission, then you're more likely to just go in and out, especially if it's pulled back slightly. You might think, oh, he's going to keep dipping. Let me just sell it, and then I'll just buy back lower. Mm-hmm. But it might just equally just pick up again, and then you're like, oh, I don't want to miss out now, and then go back in, and then like you've lost profit. Yeah. And then it might be a great stock, but it just might be just so high that it's just like it's not worth the right. current price. Um, and I think irrespective of what the company is and its growth outlooks and whatever like if the price is too high for that like it might be a great company which is not worth you getting into it at this point mm-hmm. um, and I think that's something that uh, like retail new amateur investors need to sort of think about before going in that's that's really fair and so why did you sell sell your uh, stocks? Tesla. Yeah. Um. Because it's it's almost like a, it's almost like a cultural event. Those Tesla shares, I would yeah. say. You, you, do you do you see what I'm trying to to, yeah. to to express? It's it's like a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. So so Tesla was sort of that that was my first actual stock as opposed to to funds like a diversified fund. Yeah. Um, and I bought that, so it's 2021 now, I bought that like years ago. Yeah, I remember talking to you about it years ago, literally yeah. years ago. 
yeah so i was a huge fan a long long time ago like 20 i feel like 2014 2015 mm-hmm. is like when i really really got into it mm-hmm. i was a bit aware of it before that but not like a like following it day to day kind of thing um just out of curiosity when when was the company established do you know the tesla uh, i think 2006 oh, okay or something it's really really new yeah well and, yeah and they went public 2012 2013 i think they, do you think they are the record of entering s&p 500 index from establishing to to joining the you know the index mm-hmm. That I'm not sure about. I didn't read about that, and I'm guessing if it were, mm, then it probably would have point. come up. Yeah, that's a fair point. Might have gotten lost. It's only in the fifteen detail. years, right? Yeah. Yeah. To be fair, yeah, I'm not sure. No, but, but fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's probably up there because some of those, you know, listed companies. Yeah. Uh, in S and P five hundred. around like, for decades. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so um, so you got into it and. 2014 and yeah and then yeah so i invested in it probably i think 2017 i feel mm-hmm. like um i got it i think the average price i got it at was like 230 220 or something like that um keeping in mind that was pre-stock split all oh, right um yeah and then i sold it like I think I missed out a lot of the gain. So instead of like having made three or four thousand, I could have made twenty grand. Really? Yeah. Why why is that? Um so I sold this so I held on to it for years. Mm-hmm. And then I sold it after the pandemic hit. Cause it, it had sort of gone up to to a thousand and I was I was considering selling it. This was before the pandemic and then it, it dropped back to like seven hundred and I was like, oh crap I should have probably sold it at like a thousand bought it back later but like I had held on to it the whole time and then the the pandemic hit everything went down and then like Tesla had gone back up again yeah and then I think it was like it was below a thousand but I was like I I was thinking it's it, it was already high back then I feel like yeah and based it it was it was primarily based on hype and and like extreme growth and and things like that and then like if no one's earning any money everyone's getting unemployed for extended periods of time um you know like i luxury goods like cars and like tesla being a very expensive car as well uh the growth would stall mm-hmm. and it, i just couldn't justify that price and like holding on to that kind of risk for that long so I was I just thought it's better to sell and I didn't have any sort of extra funds that I wanted to pick up other stocks in Got it. so other stocks that I was interested in like Microsoft Airbus um, several banks like everything had been hit really hard and stayed low at that point and it was attractive to me to get into those and I felt like I could get a better return being in those and sort of, I always wanted to shift my portfolio from, you know, like funds and Tesla at the time to it's like a more diversified kind of thing. And I'd already like made more than 300%. Like it's, I could, like, I was, I was very happy with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Wait, so what's the composition of your portfolio and what are you aiming in terms of the composition? What kind of things you want to have in there? Um, so I, I quite like the, the FT like portfolio uh, tool. Um, okay. So I, I like I sort of like enter my, my stuff into there. Yeah. And it's like an easy way of tracking um, everything. And it gives you like a nice analysis by like industry, geography, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So I try to keep an eye on things like that. And um, I quite like data and that uh, kind of thing as well. So I sort of have my own Excel and like I track stuff more granularly there. Um, so right now, so I've, since then, I've sort of like, so I got like, you know, the job. So I got a steady income stream and I save and invest quite a bit of that every mm-hmm. every month past few months i have just put everything into savings as in like a slush fund to sort of go in to stocks or buy more of the ones i have when things go down a bit more oh i see so you have kind of a, a, a war chest yeah ready ah, i see in effect yeah um is it because you're anticipating uh yeah i think it's it's had a nice massive long run um so i think at some point probably it might continue for a while especially with like the the stuff happening in the u.s with the um uh yeah stimulus with the uh with everything biden's trying to push through and you know with congress he might actually be able to do that now um so yeah, like certain sectors, especially like tech, it's they've gone up massively. Yeah. But then equally looking at earnings the past week or, or two, like Apple, Microsoft, um, I've looked at, have done phenomenally well. Right. So, you know, you might yeah, actually be able to justify it, but I, I don't really want to enter right now. Yeah. Um, it, it, like before I was I was doing a bit of trading and a bit of like, long-term investing mostly like again try out everything yeah. that i was interested in um obviously with the job and stuff you you can't really do that so i tend to more why well, why well, tend to only do long term and having sold tesla i switched the whole portfolio to being so like a diversified long diversified long term kind of mm-hmm. thing so i switched more to sorry go no no go ahead um so i switched more to defensive stocks cyclical stocks so a lot of banks mm-hmm. um consumer goods um stuff like that i think banks were reporting earnings only recently right and yeah. they were really good so. yeah i think yeah they've done pretty well and i think as opposed to like the financial crisis banks back then were the problem more so now they're the solution yeah um and and like another reason is like they usually pay quite a good dividend steadily and depending on the bank I suppose as well but um again passive income dividend growth dividend steady dividends and dividend growth is something I quite value in in stocks oh that's interesting because I feel like actually I have two two questions so to say or two points um point number one is that I noticed that it's really easy. I feel like there is a huge tech stock, tech stocks hype. Yeah. It's really, especially on those trading platforms. Yeah. It's 
I I found this when I was when I was putting together my you know uh, basket of 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 ETFs and I noticed that like man this, this is all tech like all tech yeah. come on it's it doesn't make any sense like I don't want to have exposure to in let's say 75 percent technology stock like yeah. zoom and stuff like that this is because this is essentially not the only thing that powers the economy right but on the other hand you're thinking like all the other st uh, stocks are kind of boring mm -hmm. and you know the return of nasdaq in the last three or five years i think the annual rate the average annual rate for the last five years was around 20 something percent which is pretty good like it's crazy good right yeah for um for an index so so it's it's kind of like a, a trap almost you don't know what to do especially if you're just a just a basic guy who, yeah who doesn't want to spend that much time looking through through stocks and funds like me for example right yeah. it's it's really easy for me to find myself in a situation where oh it's only tech stocks but like i don't want that you know, yeah. what what do you what do you think about that? What do you think could be a solution? What what alternative things can you go into that you know can provide return, but also different kind of risk or exposure? Um, well, I think that, like the easiest solution is just to go for broad-based ETFs mm -hmm. and like a mixture of it, and and you can always you know do like bond ETFs as well being part of your portfolio not that bonds are pretty bonds yeah but, but they, they aren't they with current you know current interest rates yeah. re interest rates it's like the return on bonds is like one two percent maybe three that's if know. you're very lucky right <laughs> so I'm, i mean sure yeah if you're retiring next year like by all means put your savings into into bonds but Otherwise, why would you do that to yourself? And by the way, this is not a financial <laughs> advice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so bonds has always been something that I've wanted to get some exposure to, but I just like the yield was just always terrible. Like right. the past few years, like, yeah. and I've, I've, that's the only time that I've looked towards in yeah. investing. Like I, I'm really young. <laughs> Right. Um, so I'm hoping like when interest rates pick up and like, you know, things normalize compared to like the historical average, like things will go to, you know, more normal return, like higher returns on bonds. Yeah. And like that, then I can have it be uh, part of my portfolio. Right now, it's not. Um, Fair. Uh, just out of m my pure curiosity, because I checked it the, the other day. Do you know what's the average return on uh, stocks? Historically, let's say in in the US, um, the, the return of um, I think S and P five hundred is what I checked. Uh, I feel like I want to say fifteen, but I really want to check as well. It's uh, it's actually just under eleven percent. Okay, which is go. if you think about it, that's really good. If it's like year on year, obviously you know, it's 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 an average, for, yeah. but for like last hundred years or so, so that's a crazy return yeah 11 percent. that's like I, I wonder when your capital doubles at this return um five years six seven 
I'm not sure because like the I think another thing that you have to consider for the, like long term is you want to reinvest, right? Yeah. Um. So you like so your portfolio essentially is it's compounding the more returns exactly. you make, and then things like the S and P, a lot of the companies pay dividends, so there's pretty decent return I think on the S and P. Right. Um. So then, I think if you look at like a really crazy time scale like 30 years or something mm-hmm. if you do with and without uh, dividends reinvested you get a completely different figure mm. uh, I've always found that really cool actually. that's a that's a really good point I feel like I have been over um, overlooking that severely <laughs> <laughs> to be fair no honestly the, yeah. the dividend you know um, I, especially if you if you invest in tech stocks, that's exactly what it is. Like they don't pay any dividend most yeah. of the time, do they? Um, well, I think it depends. Like Apple, Microsoft, mm. for, for example, like pay dividends, mm-hmm. like pretty good dividends. Um, or well, usually, I think the, the problem is when the stock price like doubles mm-hmm. and they're paying the same dollar amount in dividends, mm-hmm. then the yield is a lot lower. Right. Um, True. Yeah, so it depends when you get into the stock, really. Yeah, that's fair. That's but, really fair. Um, so, like, one of the problems I've found in, like, ETF investing, actually, is if you look at the S&P, the, the amount of exposure tech stocks get, mm-hmm. it, it, like, it depends on market cap, right? It depends how the ETF, it's, uh, how the S&P is structured. And even though it's, like, a little over 500 companies tech stocks make up a huge amount of that portfolio. So even though you're... Really? Yeah. So even uh. though you're thinking of, that you're getting exposed to 500 companies, like really well diversified, right. you're actually taking a lot of risk on tech mm. plus a few, like and plus a, like 450 other companies as a more, as a smaller percentage of that, really. Oh, that's very interesting. I wonder why... Do you know what the ratio is in terms um, of tech-related stocks? Because there is going to be, you know bunch of healthcare um, mm-hmm. banks and stuff like that obviously like I would imagine that it's a that it's it's a it's a fairly well diversified yeah. you know index but it's not not currently at least like, one oh sorry go on no, I, I think it's just it gets worse every mm. year because like tech grows and the rest does one thing worse. that I noticed myself is because you will have ETFs that would for example be S&P 500 healthcare, S&P 500 financials, S&P 500, um, you, you know, kind of different seg- segments of the S&P 500, the companies that come uh, fall under, uh, um, kind of make part, uh, part of this index, right? <laughs> and when I looked at the returns of those, they all the kind of, Everything that is not tech or information technology is so behind the 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 tech. So behind in, in terms, terms of, of returns, return. it's shocking. Yeah. Like it's basically the, the gap is 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 just huge. But again, mm-hmm. it comes back to the question because I think it's even um, it kind of coming back to to intelligent investor, the book that past performance isn't an indicator of future performance yeah. right so but then w- 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 how should you you know make ba- base your decisions 
in terms of investing? What do you think? Um, I think like if you read those kinds of books, like what they, or I think at least what Buffett says is focus on a few things that you're quite that, that you're quite knowledgeable about mm-hmm. so that you don't really need to be doing like you shouldn't if you're I don't know a hairdresser and you never look at um, well, I want I want to say something very niche but I, I feel like I just want to say banks because it's quite technical around it but like um, it's just like focus on the stuff that you know yeah the stuff that you as, as someone who's in that industry or has exposure to that industry might be able to get an information edge on. Yeah. And when the market is irrational, which happens quite often actually, then, and, and you know for, or maybe not, not as a fact, but like you know that it doesn't really make sense, that right. it shouldn't have gone down this much or it shouldn't have gone up this much, then that's when you can either buy or sell whatever you want to do. Yeah, that's really fair. One, one other thing that I find really interesting is I'm kind of changing gears right now, mm-hmm. but it links to equities being overvalued mm-hmm. potentially. Or there's definitely a, you know one might argue that there's always you know like FT Financial Times and other um, magazines uh, or newspapers like that will like because it's such a catchy topic and they yeah. need you know like headline grabbers. Oh, yeah. are the stocks overvalued? Is this the market crash? Like since you know is this dot com? Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So uh, they they are also trying to make money and you yeah. know talking about bubbles and stuff like that. That's kind of like I think it triggers this part of your brain that you're like, oh, let me read what yeah. what they what they have to say, right? Yeah. But one definitely. thing that I find particularly interesting is competition between US and China mm-hmm. and because is this factored into valuations obviously one might argue that it should be and it is but is it really because historically people and investors and politicians everyone is always taken by surprise when a conflict erupts and yeah. right now on one hand everyone is talking about you know China US competition who's gonna be running the show mm-hmm. but on the other hand nobody is really thinking that there's gonna be any conflict whatsoever between the two right yeah but it is so crucial in the sense that the US has never had for example if you compare Soviet Union mm-hmm. to the to the threat to, to the threat of Soviet Union to to the hegemony of the US and the threat of China to the hegemony of the US, they don't even compare. There is no comparison whatsoever between the yeah. two, whatever, you know, however you wanna, however you wanna look at it. But, but, but I don't feel like people worry about it at all, that there might be a, like a full-blown conflict between, you know, two massive and resourceful countries and it's your power countries yeah yeah exactly exactly and you know arguably you could say that there is already conflict it's just not a kinetic conflict like it, there's not actually people shooting at each other but isn't a trade war a form of conflict or isn't technology a competition for who has the better technology 
a conflict arguably yeah. it's even more important because whoever has a better technology has a upper hand in, yeah. in any 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 other conflict whatsoever so what, yeah. what do you think about that well like as a starting point like you you see that in like 5g for example yeah um like some some countries are saying like it's a national security concern we're not letting like chinese companies come in and do that and we we want to be the first to do that kind of stuff as well right um like so you definitely do see that um, were you talking about like equity valuations? Yeah, we, I think I think this is one of the aspects in which any conflict would definitely quickly find a reflection, right? Yeah. Um, I think when when it comes to like equities, there it is sort of priced in to an extent. I it probably depends on the company as well. Um, just because I was thinking more of for example alibaba being a chinese company it is a bit idiosyncratic in in that like like <laughs> the chinese government cracked down on on jack ma quite a bit yeah um they broke a whip on him <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and then some um yeah actually i i read like a pretty long form article of like his biography and stuff mm-hmm. on, on the ft recently and it's quite interesting and like he's quite a big headline grabbing guy mm-hmm. and it sort of outshines the communist party oh really um I, yeah i think he does and he's sort of never really aligned himself with them as much and okay. to, to an extent it's always been in their interest that he does well because mm-hmm. it reflects well on on like china right um like here's a chinese company you know we're, we operate globally we operate well like blah 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 right. um but like because he's never been like a team player in like communist China, he's he's just sought to always do his own thing. Right. And I guess he just went too far when it came to his listing and like, uh, or before the ant listing, and he went and. Yeah, I think he criticized <laughs> yeah. the, the. I think the reason it was kind of a. A retaliation, right? Yeah. On on the side of the. Of the communist uh, party, I think he just he criticized them for for something, and then they were like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> okay, we'll pull, see what happens." Yeah, we're pulling your IPO then, bro. Yeah. <laughs> That's a wrap for you, son. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I think you, I think China is probably quite different in in terms of like when you're analyzing companies, like they crack down on a lot of companies. Yeah. Especially in like the financial sector and mm-hmm. like, like uh, they always I think like the sort of whole leverage issue there has been talked about quite a bit and that's something they've sought to actually address in one way or another. So like companies like Anbang and yeah. I mispronounced that but like there, there was like four companies that were huge that they really really cracked down on over the past yeah. few years and then also like Alibaba and 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 the like and. So the reason I brought Alibaba up was because like, I, I looked at their stock price recently, and if you compare that to tech, or for example Amazon, it's really not gone anywhere. It's mm-hmm. like in in terms of returns over the past mm-hmm. few years, it's nowhere near where it should be. If you if you're saying it's the same company, you're right? saying it's undervalued, or what well, it depends mean? on how you assess the risks. Okay. Right and and. Again, uh, to an extent, some of the risks have sort of 
fallen away or at least being mitigated somewhat since they had that fine and like you know it's it's more like an outcome rather than a looming dark cloud mm-hmm. um but again the stock price really hasn't really recovered that much yeah that's I think fair it's still at like 220 or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i what i wanted to pick up on is oh i know it's actually hilarious what's the ratio of public debt to gdp for china mm-hmm. it's higher than italy i want to <laughs> say yeah and i actually am curious what's the ratio of public debt for the us uh, to their gdp because considerably oh for sure right <laughs> for sure but they've been saying that that basically china has an unsustainable public debt for 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 a while and they've been saying the same and i I might be like maybe it's not a greatest comparison to like bring those two together but they've been saying the same thing about italy right that it has a really high public debt and so far nothing came out of it um do you think just talking generally about the public debt and its ratio to to the gdp what do you think or maybe you would like to explain to you know to to listeners what it is and why is it important and why should we care about it and then we can talk about why is it bad for for any country to have a huge ratio would you would you like to um i guess like it's always bad to have too much debt the, the the i think the problem is when you can't finance things or when things like as long as things go well everything's all well and good right, right. um so like for example what trump did was like the economy was doing great and everything so there was no real need to go and borrow a lot more than you already were like right. when times are good is when governments should be paying down their debt probably yeah um i think china's probably a bit different in terms of the government has a lot more control over everything and also that it's very it, it the the growth rate there is a lot higher so it's sort of only recently emerged why well, I, I guess point. it depends who you ask as to whether it is a developed or developing like, it, would, it would be also really interesting to know who holds their public debt because um to just to quickly kind of explain so public mm-hmm. debt is basically government issuing bonds right um borrowing mm-hmm. money in, in the market and people give you know money to to the government and they get the you know the the the, the simple kind the of IOU, IOU. Yeah, yeah exactly um, document and 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 countries just accumulate debt and for example in the EU I want to say that the limit on public debt is 60% of your uh, gross domestic product and I want to say that China has around 160 and so, roughly so does Italy um, and I wonder how much Japan has I want to say that Japan has something around 200%. Let me double check. And and it's really important who who um who actually has the the 
you know, those bonds, who invests in them. Because, mm-hmm. for example, for Japan, they are saying that their public debt is very unsustainable, but or it has been since the 80s when, 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 when their economy crashed. Last but, decade. Yeah, exactly. But the thing about Japanese public debt is that most of it is held by Japanese investors. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's usually quite good, or it's always quite good. Because um, obviously they're the local people, so they have you know an in, inherent interest in, um, for example, not selling it, mm-hmm. um, or kind of like not dumping it. And I would like to know whether it's the same for for China or or you know what's going on with that, because that would probably, because for example, I know that for the U.S. I think around third of their debt of, of their public debt is held by Chinese. Yeah, something. Yeah, something crazy. Right. Yeah. So it's a. Uh, so they are saying that oh, the Chinese will like start dumping U.S. bonds, and uh, whatever. Um, it's gonna be a huge problem. I don't. I, like I don't know if that's necessarily the case because it would be kind of like a mutual suicide, right? Mm-hmm. For for the bondholder or actually I think it's not individual Chinese investors but just the Chinese government has like 30% of the yeah it's the government that's fine that's crazy right imagine it's like your enemy is held and like he's like your um, creditor that's hilarious in a way like it's it's weird because if it was like between two people you wouldn't want that to be a thing right Mm -hmm. however on the scale of on the macroeconomic scale, that's pretty fine. It's actually pretty good for you in a way, right? Because you have kind of like a pact of mutually assured destruction, so you yeah. need to kind of try and get along. It's like a less violent version. Right? Isn't that yeah. hilarious? Yeah. I think, yeah, I think the problem, it, it's all good, probably not good, depends who you ask, I guess, but um, like that China holds all the US or not all, but like a considerable portion of U.S. government debt. I think the bigger problem in the short term is if they just decide not to keep buying more. Mm-hmm. So essentially, they're refinancing it, right? They're reinvesting right. everything and buying more and more. So if they decide not to, like, who buys that? Right. Um, so where do they get That's the money from? That's a really good from? point. That's um, a really good point. Yeah. But, I mean, w- with everything that Trump did, mm-hmm. um, going hawkish on China, it was... That, that was a fear, but I don't think they really did. Not that they couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but equally so, as long as China is doing that, like they also need someone to buy their goods as mm-hmm. well, right? So yeah. that's how their economy runs. Right. So, so like you said, mutually assured destruction. Right. Um, uh, so in a nutshell, basically the way it works is China is giving US money to buy their stuff. Yeah, I guess that's one way of looking at it, yeah. Kind of, right? Or at least 30% of, of, the, of, the, of the money, obviously like super oversimplifying, 30% of the money that US spends is kind of like borrowed from China and a lot of that is spent in China as well. So it's like, it's like, a, it's a weird, it's a weird, you know, it can only work in like economy, right? Because like in a real life, it wouldn't make sense. I am yeah. borrowing new money so you can buy from me. Yeah, I, I think... 
I, I guess that's interesting because like I think it's the it's like U.S. consumers that right. buy the goods, so it's not them that are borrowing in effect. True. But well, I guess it like it trickles down, right? Yeah. So like the U.S. borrows and they spend, and then that money gets circulated around the economy. So in the end, it's someone in America somewhere yeah. that's buying the Chinese goods and stuff. Yeah. So I guess. Yeah. And what is your? Because I'm I'm conscious that we're kind of running. It's almost forty-five minute mark. What is your view on, on actually just to stay on the topic of U.S. and China? What is your view of how this is the situation that this conflict is gonna unravel further? What do you think? Um, honestly, I have no idea. Fair. Um, there was actually like a like a short form video report, I guess. Um, on on that sort of issue that I saw today mm -hmm. from The Economist. Oh, really? Um, it was on Taiwan. Oh, okay. And sort of like the growing tensions there. Um, and also the whole US, uh, sorry, not US, uh, China-India issue. Like China-India issue? Yeah, like the border. Oh. Um, uh, issues like going on there, like it's, I, I, I don't know. But one thing I think to factor in now is now that Biden's back and things are more like more like how they used to be in terms of like politics mm -hmm. if there's a more unified approach with the EU mm. there's probably a lot more leverage that you can exert on China that's a that's a really fair point actually because yeah. US was for the last four years US was going completely alone well yeah. obviously you can argue that it has few really rock solid allies in the sense of their interest is the, let's say Japan and South Korea mm -hmm. they are so close to China that they need to be almost in lockstep with with the US like they don't really have a lot of space of their own because China is just so close to them right yeah. you, and you can see the EU is a completely different ball game because we are uh, or Europe I should say is so far from China geographically that we, realistically for us Europeans, China isn't a threat, like a physical it's more threat, Russia, I guess. right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and as a result of it, you see that. I think, has the EU ratified this this free trade agreement with China? Because they were definitely in like very advanced con talks over it at the end of twenty twenty. I don't know if they eventually did did it or not. I think so. You um, think like, exactly that, and you know there's no way us is like oh yeah that's a good idea europeans you you go for that you should you know trade more with china make it stronger well well i think probably trade agreements is one way of sort of the us achieving what they want well i mean I, it's probably mutually beneficial but w one of the, the key concerns about China, I think, is the lack of rights into the market and stuff. Like, mm. they're, they're quite protectionist. Right. And, like, uh, for example, I think Tesla was actually the first company that was able to establish their own factory in China without needing to have a JV, oh, which really? is weighted towards a local company. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So, like, BMW, Volkswagen and stuff, like, mm -hmm. they have JV partnerships, right. which are 51% or more weighted towards the Chinese right. partner. Right. Um, 
and and things like that or or things that like the US EU and stuff are quite worried about yeah and trademark uh, or IP um, related issues as well and whether you can enforce that yeah um, so if you have trade agreements and the and China's are like opening up their mm-hmm. borders and stuff that's probably one way of addressing issues but not but necessarily bad no no that's a that's a really fair point you globalist um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but kumbaya yeah but uh, what I wanted to say is sure but there has been so many incidents of China just stealing technology right and I would imagine yeah. that probably everybody does it in their own way it's just that <laughs> we hear hear about the China doing it but mm. you know it's it's just like the, your point of view very much depends where you are where you're where you're sat if that yeah. makes sense and so I feel like it's really easy for us in the West to be saying oh you know China is bad guys only but from the Chinese point of view they are they are I'm sure they are thinking about the you know a century of humiliation when the Europeans came and you know this they were selling opium and like just mm-hmm. destroying their country and like taking whatever they wanted and and I think they are just thinking that so you know well maybe we'll maybe we take some of your technology even though it's patented or whatever Reparations. like what yeah but what about what about all this opium that you sold to our people <laughs> you know like i would imagine that that's what they're thinking yeah i've no idea like i don't really read chinese news like, like, me neither <laughs> yeah well well i mean that's the thing like i i do that in like the in the eu and the us like i read like different countries right like, input and stuff right but with with China, it's like it's literally a different language. <laughs> I yeah. can't read it, yeah. um, and I guess things are a bit different with like propaganda and stuff as well. Like that's another consideration. Like I like independent factual information, yeah. and a lot of that in China. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, again, yeah, de- definitely. Like you said, it depends whose seat you're in. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, I. I... I feel that. Well, we're on, almost on the 50-minute mark, so I think we should close this. It was really it was really informative, and we should do it again soon, because we Definitely. got a little bit di- distracted, yeah. and I don't feel like we got enough time to actually talk about the passive income and, uh, and all, all, the, all the stuff, but it's... And your portfolio. And my portfolio, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think we should do, and we should definitely do that. It's, it, you know, it, turn, it always turns out that 45 minutes is way less yeah. than, than you think it is. Uh, but until next time, thank you very much. And um, thank you for being here. And thank you for, to whoever is listening to it. Yeah. I love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for having me. And yeah, yeah th- thanks for everyone who listened. Yeah.